0: I have uh, Dr. Helen Albertson here with me today to talk about the multi-generational workforce. Good morning, Helen.
1: Good morning. How are you today? I'm great. How are you doing? I'm doing very well, thank you. Are you uh, excited about this topic? I am. It's one of my favorite topics to teach, so uh, I like to get other people's opinions about what they believe are, are, are traits of generations and then kind of show them that maybe they're not always correct and there are a lot of good things about the generations that we work with.
0: Great. Let's start off by talking a little about you, your background. Where okay. you coming from?
1: Uh, well, I have been a um, instructor writer for almost a year now, and before that, I was the dean of students at Loyola Law School, Los Angeles. Uh, I come with a very different background. I'm, I'm a retired naval reservist. Um, spent twenty, almost twenty one years as a reservist, and um, went to law school and have my doctorate in education. So I have a, all this different stuff going on that I brought with me and and I think it's helped me to be a better instructor writer here at AMSC.
0: Now let's talk about the multi-generational workforce and how that pertains to leadership, so one's ability to influence others. What are your thoughts?
1: The bottom line up front is that as a generation we have certain traits and characteristics and influence how we are motivated at work what motivates us, how we communicate, the respect that we give each other. And so all of these things are part of who we are. And just because we are part of a particular generation doesn't mean that we have all those characteristics. But if we understand the different characteristics of the generations, we can better work with our people, we can get along better, we can be high-performing teams, and we can influence um, decision-making in both from our superiors and from our peers.
0: What is a generation?
1: A generation is a group, we've referred to them also as cohorts, of about 15 to 20 years who have experienced events or circumstances that influence the way they think. It is usually in the formative years between 10 and 19 when uh, some events occur that create a generation. So, for example, when when we look at, we currently have five generations in the workforce. And the traditionalists are the people who were born before 1946. And so there's not very many of them left, but they were influenced by the Depression, by World War II. And so they have a different thought process then a person who was born as a millennial after 1997, who, you know, grew up with technology and were influenced by Columbine and 9-11. And so all of these things create different thoughts and the way we see the world. And so if we can look at how we see the world and how others see the world and realize that not everybody thinks like I do, not everybody... Uh, sees the world the same way I do. And so if we can work together and figure out how to work as a group, we're better able to create those high-performing teams at work.
0: Who gets to define these labels, these terms, whether we're talking about baby boomers, Generation X, millennials? Do you know the origin of these these terms, these labels?
1: As as we talked about earlier, Pew Research did a lot of work on defining generations over years, and the, and the generations come up depending upon who's talking about them. They might have different names. Traditionalists prior to nineteen forty five or nineteen forty six, Boomers from forty six to uh, sixty four, uh, Gen X sixty five to nineteen eighty ish, Millennials eighty one to ninety seven ninety six. And then Gen Z, born ni- after ninety after ninety
0: seven. You said traditionalists is that synonymous with the Silent Generation? Yes, it is.
1: And in each generation, except Boomers, have have multiple names. Baby Boomers are the only group that doesn't have another name. Uh, and and the reason they're called Baby Boomers is because they were the largest generation in history. Because uh, after World War uh, World War II, you know, soldiers came home. They had lots of children. Uh, because the economy was booming, and they were able to um, go go back to school, get better jobs, and so they had more children. And then the generation X came along, and as we as we talked about earlier, we talked about um, you know the invention of contraceptives. So there were fewer babies born, and so the. Generation X came along and they were this, uh, much smaller than the boomers. So they're also called the lost generation, the sandwich generation. And so, and because after them came the millennials, another baby boom, not quite as big as, as uh, baby boomers, but the millennials came along and people started having more children again. And so millennials are now the, um, were uh, the most diverse generation in history until Generation Z came along, also known as IGEN, uh, who are now the most diverse generation in history.
0: So I was trying to gather some more information and do a little bit of research. I started the Census Bureau. They don't officially recognize generations. They do recognize the statistical anomaly of the of the baby boomer generation increase in birth rates. Mm-hmm. It seems to be the P Research Center, a think tank in Washington, D.C., that seems to be doing most of
1: The naming conventions.
0: (laughs) Well, it seems to be doing most of the analysis on on this. It seems like most of the names, as I try to research, this actually come from authors. In 1991, two different books from two different authors uh, came out. One of them was uh, Douglas Copeland's uh, book titled Generation X, Tales from Accelerated Culture," and explained that the letter X was just meant to signify the generation's desire not to be defined. It was a placeholder, but it stuck. In fact, uh, Billy Idol used the term... Used the name for his new band. Then there was another book in 1990 by Neil Howe, who's the one who coined the term the Millennial Generation, and he wrote that, co-authored that book with uh, William Strauss. So in 1991, we get these two terms coming out, and it seemed like those were. It seems like a lot of this um, desire to to know and analyze these cohorts comes from the advertising agency because they recognize the differences in what appeals to people, what what appealed to a certain crowd. With regards to advertising in a certain decade, it completely changed or evolved from decade to decade so advertising agencies are really are really motivated to to stay on top of this. Pew Research Center two thousand and fifteen say that an individual's age is one of the most common predictors of differences in attitude and behaviors so with that said um a twenty year old from the nineteen forties is going to be similar to a twenty year old to say from the nineteen nineties. But there are also going to be some differences based on the environmental factors, the world events, technology.
1: You know, a twenty-year-old doesn't doesn't have the maturity of a forty-year-old, say, and so yes, those age differences are are consistent. You know, it, you know, we try we call it. A, Teenager, wild and out of control. No matter what age they are, and
0: parents in the 40s were probably saying the same thing. Yes,
1: you know, if you think about it, think about the, you know, when rock and roll came alive, and and you know, parents said their students were listening to that crazy music. Well, 30 years later, students are listening to rap, and and their parents are thinking, oh, and they're listening to that crazy music. Mm-hmm. So it's so it's there's a difference between age information and generation information. If we look at, you know, youth at every age is youth. They're immature. They they don't have the experience of the world. But if we look at generations, we look at what has influenced a generation. So as I talked about, you know, the traditionalists were influenced by the Depression and World War II, and the boomers were influenced by you know, what was going on in the 60s with the Vietnam War and the assassination of John F. Kennedy and Martin Luther King and Robert Kennedy. And and so those things influenced a generation. Millennials were influenced by Columbine and by nine eleven, And we look at Gen Z. They are influenced by the, the school shootings that are going on all over the place. They are influenced by the fact that they're not being heard and and that's a, a, a both a generational and an age issue is is youth doesn't feel like they're being heard but the gen z has reacted differently than previous generations and they have become activists and so yes it's it's age related but it's also the influences of the generation that make them react differently
0: another influence that i see i'd be curious to hear your thoughts on this i see Egocentric thinking is also playing a part of this, and I've discussed that a little bit in our critical thinking episodes, but egocentric thinking, my point of view, my place, my experience, those somehow are a special reference point that are more important. For instance, looking back, the Beatles, the band, it seems so Mm -hmm. tame. Both of my (laughs) parents, having been product of the baby boomer generation, both described how their parents were... Actually mortified by that. This was the devil's music. These guys had long yes. hair. This was going to be the.
1: I mean, think think of. Um, I know you, you're too young to know this, but think about the uh, appearance of Elvis Presley on the Ed Sullivan yes. show, and they only photo uh, filmed him from the waist up because all that horrible dancing he was doing.
0: He was threatened with arrest for lewd behavior. Yes,
1: and so and so yes, that's an age thing, but the generational influence of. The music explosion of the sixties created a whole generation who who are more accepting of music than they were prior to that. So one of the things that we talk about in the in my classroom is about the cultural differences between generations and what influenced generations. Where I talked about events, but I also we also talk about. Uh, movies and music, and how that influenced the generation. So, if we look at traditionalists, um, their movies were about men doing, struggling to do the right thing. And I say men because early Hollywood was was much about men. So we think about Twelve Angry Men, um, High Noon, all those kind of movies that had the, um, a man struggling to figure out how do I do the right thing. Where we go into the boomers, it was. You know fighting the system so I, I was listening to the ra- uh, radio on my way to work this morning they were talking about network um, and a lot of people don't know that movie it's from 1975 it was a you know a, an angry man fed up with the system and now it's being made into a Broadway play uh, starring Brian Cranston and so it, it was a rejection of the establishment so then we look at uh, Generation X, and their movies were about um, anti-heroes. And so we think of um, The Matrix. Um, we think of uh, Breakfast Club. And so those kind of mo- movies were like, I, I'm really going to reject the system now. I'm going to be- go my own way. And then we look at Millennials, and their movies are kid heroes. You think about Harry Potter. And um, kids saving the world. Percy Jackson, you know, those kind of movies. They're all revolved about how, you know, this kid saved their parents, saved the world. And now we're looking at Gen Z, and you know because of their age, it's all family related movies. And so we look at the progression of movies and how it influenced the generation. And so we look to the future and saying, well, what is going to influence the next generation? It's hard to say at this point, but I'm sure that movies and music will have a lot of influence, and and we can look at the music as in the same way that we look at the movies, because the music, if we think about the '40s, it was big band era and and solo acts, um, Frank Sinatra, Bing Crosby, and then we look at the at the boomers' music, it was the Beatles, it was the Doors, you know, a, a very very anti-establishment and Elvis Presley was part of that as well. We look at Gen X and it was grunge and alternative music. And millennials has now have, has become a mix of music from rap and and uh hip hop and techno and electronic and they just have a whole range of music that they're listening to. And so it's it's all a, a progression of the solo artist up to you know techno which has no live musicians so it's 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 a very interesting concept of how we understand a generation through their music and mu- and movies
0: well, we were recently going through some training where the instructor had brought up a bunch of Historic magazines, Lifetime magazines, National Geographic, from the 30s, 40s. And as we were thumbing through them, I, I stumbled across an editorial where the person was concerned about the youth losing horsemanship abilities. The, the The youth can no longer mount a horse. We've all become reliant on tractors on the farm and vehicles. And what's the world going to become now when no, when, when our youth can't even mount a horse? I recently heard in my classroom from a student To her despair, her grandkids were 10 years old and didn't know how to tie a shoe. What's the world going to become? Coming back to the egocentric point of view, what I grew up with is important and will remain important and remain relevant. And if those coming up in younger generations don't value those same things or don't have those same skills and abilities, my goodness, I've heard the new generation doesn't know how to drive a manual transmission. Oh, yeah. What's the world coming to? That's where I think we need a break out of that, and this is where this could be useful in, in looking at the strengths that each generation brings and versus the differences. Really, these days, in the United States, how many cars can you buy with a manual transmission? Is it really the end of the world?
1: And, and that's what we look at when we look at multi generational workforce, because what one generation finds important, and I'll use the example of communication. Traditionalists communicate face-to-face. They communicate in writing you know, they wrote letters, beautiful letters, and mailed them with stamps on them. You know, and, and we look at generation, the millennials and, and Gen Z don't even know how much a stamp costs because they don't mail letters anymore. But that traditionalist is looking at that, well, you know, those people don't even know how to write. And the millennials are looking at, that. Per, that person doesn't even know how to text. And that's how I communicate. And so we have this uh, gap in communication styles, and how hard is it for a millennial to get up and walk across the room to talk to the baby boomer or the traditionalist? How hard is it for the traditionalist or the baby boomer to s- learn to to text their coworker? And so, when when those things be, create conflict, it makes for a difficult work environment. And so, if we can understand that. One generation likes to communicate in one way and I can adapt a little bit to say, hey, I can learn to communicate that way as well. It will create those high-performing teams that we're looking for at work. And communication is just one example. Now, I, I, I talk about this in my class, but one of the, the conflict areas is dress code. The Traditionalists wore the three-piece suits, and and women wore skirts and stockings and high heels. You know the boomers dressed like their bosses, and the Gen Xers are, are well. Why can't I just wear khakis and a polo shirt? And the millennials are why can't I wear pajama pants? And we joke about the pajama pants and flip-flops, but but what difference does it make what we are wearing? If we are not a, you know, customer-facing organization, why can't we wear pajama pants and flip-flops, other than the fact that it drives our coworkers crazy? Respect is another example. You know, the the millennials don't understand, well, I, I have the knowledge of this subject. Why don't you respect my knowledge? Or... The traditionalists. Well, the boss is the boss, so we should give them respect because they are the boss. And so, when the different generations look at respect, it also creates conflict in the in the organization.
0: Along those lines, one trend that I've noticed in the workplace is it seems that the more well, the traditionalists when they were still in the workforce or the baby boomers seem to value tenure more Mm -hmm. versus the younger folks. Seem to value ability. What can you do? And that seems to be what matters more. And I see that that clashing sometimes as well.
1: Right. When we think about loyalty to the organization, the the traditionalist worked in the same company for thirty five years and then retired and got a gold watch. You know the the and a pension and a pension. And the and the boomers are looking at it as well. I have earned earned my way up to promotion, and so wait your turn. And the Gen Xers and millennials are saying, hey, I have the knowledge. So listen to me because I have the knowledge. Where we look at boomers who are, you know, think that knowledge is power, and so they hoard it. Where Xers and millennials and, and Gen Zs coming up, they look at power, yes, knowledge is power, but only if you share it. And so that creates a conflict as well, and, um, and we look at um, it, we go it it does really hinge on boomers now because there are so many of them getting ready to retire, and all the knowledge that they have that they are not sharing, and so we, we have to figure out how do we get them to share that knowledge with the millennials and the gen and the gen xers and the gen z's, because and because we learn differently by generation, you know if you think about boomers and traditionalists did um, on the job training and they did and then boomers created manuals so that we would know how to do things and gen xers you know they're the uh, mtv generation and so they looked at videos and now millennials look at youtube you can learn anything on youtube if you are open to learning that way but as boomers and traditionalists we're not, we're not uh, that comfortable with the YouTube learning that millennials are. And so it creates, again, a conflict in learning styles.
0: I'm seeing uh, demographics on just who listens to this podcast. And, <laughs> and yeah, there, there seems to be an age cutoff point.
1: Yeah, yeah. You know, it's, it's, this is what we grew up with. This is what, ha- what was going on in our formative years. And so that has, is what creates the generation. And it, it creates also the the belief that I am correct. In the, and we go back to the egocentric thinking. Well, this is the way I've always done it. So of course it's correct. And it works for each generation.
0: I see that as the biggest barrier to a multi-generational workforce, the egocentric thinking. My frame of reference is right. I'm a Generation X. And I grew up as a free-range free kid. Uh, at the age of five, I was walking to school, walking home, letting myself in with, you know, the key. I was latch-key kid. Mm-hmm. Parents were divorced, and yeah. I was young. It divorced some independence uh, on my part. Now I see this young generation with helicopter parents, and uh, they can't do anything on their own without their hand being held. They're getting a trophy for for everything very different than how I grew up and it's and it's wrong because it's different.
1: And we can blame the boomers for that. And and being a boomer myself, I, I understand. I didn't let my kids walk to school. I, I didn't even let them cross the street till they were twelve. And so it's it's a different way of parenting that has created what what we see are the negatives in the in the millennials. But you know what? Millennials get a bad rap. They are more innovative. They're more likely to um, create organizations that help people. They are more likely to volunteer because they grew up in a world that, again, influenced by Columbine, influenced by 9-11, they grew up thinking that life is fragile. And so I want to make a difference and I want to do it now. I don't have time to wait and so they get this bad rap for being what we call entitled or privileged or helicopter, or whatever you want to call it. But they're not like that. They are, you know, if we look at the companies that have been created by millennials, Facebook, we look at, at those organizations that have come alive because of millennials, um, organizations that are helping the world uh, and creating Things that uh, improve our world. And so I, I always like to tell people that, you know, we have all these negative beliefs about millennials, but it's negative beliefs based on their youth, not on their skills.
0: From the millennials' point of view, I sometimes see them as talking down to the older generation. Look, I have to go help them turn on their computer. Yeah. I have to, sh- I have to show them how to create a PowerPoint presentation. You know, I have I tell to show you- them
1: how to how to stop their their vcr from blinking because because i don't because they don't know how to fix the time and yeah they still have vcrs what is that
0: admittedly yeah our 1988 vcr had like 30 steps to get the clock to (laughs) stop blinking 12 o'clock but
1: yeah and the millennials can't understand we have all this technology why aren't you why aren't you embracing it but they grew up with it so they it's they are they are digital natives I didn't get my first cell phone till I was in my 40s. My daughters got them when they were 13, but, you know, this Gen Z, they've had them since they were two or four, and they, they work with, you know, iPads all the time, and so they understand all of this technology that previous generations didn't have. And they can't understand, you know, I've got the world at my fingertips, and we complain that. Yeah, they're always looking at their phones, but they are learning from their phones. They're looking up, you know, words they don't understand. They're looking up organizations that that provide more information, and and yes, we complain about that, but it, but it's the way of the future, and we need to adapt to it as well.
0: I think that sometimes the older generation though, sees that as a vulnerability, because what can you do if it breaks? What happens yes. if if. The Russians take out the satellites. I went to flight school, Fort Rucker, in the late 90s, and GPS was still a relatively new thing in in Army aircraft, and most of our instructor pilots were still the Vietnam War era, Mm -hmm. and they did not like us relying on GPS. That's not going to be there. You need to know how to read a map because what are you going to do when it's broken? But with GPS, it is actually fairly reliable. They have a point, but I can do a lot more. Also, a a recent change that I've seen in the Army is the reliance now on the institutional knowledge. As we start to come out, you know, the decade war and looking at how did we used to do things? Because we kind of got caught up in the whole, you know, the counterinsurgency fight. And and a lot of the younger officers, they weren't around. And so now we're having to rely on institutional knowledge and and talk to those, quote unquote, old timers who, who did it before. The Army changed direction for, I think the entire DOD changed direction, their focus on, on terrorism. How do we go back to really what our, our core competencies should be and how we engage in near-peer threat? And so I, I see the older generation as having a huge part.
1: It's that transfer of knowledge. And again, if we look at the, the Gen Xers are now becoming the leaders in the active side of the Army the gen uh, the boomers are still the leaders on the civilian side because because us boomers you know we are we're very competitive we had to fight for everything because there because there were so many of us and so we've carried that on to our later years and now we are not leaving we are you know we're holding on to our jobs for longer because we are taking care of our parents we're taking care of our children we either haven't haven't been able to save or we just haven't saved enough to retire on our own so we're continuing to work and the gen xers and the millennials are like will you just retire because we want to take we want to make changes and we want to improve things and yet and, and as i said you know boomers are knowledge hoarders and so they're not sharing that institutional knowledge yet And as they get closer and closer to retirement, you know the workforce in the next uh, seven to eight years the workforce is going to change dramatically, because most of the boomers will be retiring by then, and almost half the workforce by twenty twenty five will be millennials. And so we look at what are we sharing, and how can we get people to share, and that's where understanding generational differences comes into play, is we. If we know our people and know what motivates them, and know what what knowledge they have, what knowledge they sh- can will share, then we can make um, a better transition to a, to a younger generation workforce.
0: At the end of the day, what advice would you have for leaders using uh, knowledge of? I guess the differences of others, without going into a a hasty generalization, but to to recognize and value differences to better influence?
1: I guess my best uh, advice would be know your people. Again, if it goes back to knowing what motivates them, whether it's generational differences or age differences or family situation differences, knowing what motivates people can help them to – to be more committed to the organization, we can get compliance every day of the week. Do this because I'm their boss and you have to do it. But when you can get commitment from your org- to, from your people to the organization and to the leader, then you can get more work from the whole, from the entire generation, from the entire office, from the entire team. And so, and you can't do that if you don't know your people. So take the time to understand generational differences, but to understand individuals, because everyone is an individual and different things motivate them.
0: My advice to the old timers would be before you criticize, <laughs> before you start criticizing the younger generations, remember there was a generation that preceded you that was criticizing you for losing your horsemanship skills.
1: Absolutely.
0: And and, and you did just fine. Yeah. And for the younger generations who might be looking down on the old timers, well, Look at the path that they paved. You wouldn't be here without the steps that they placed.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. You know, you have to appreciate the generational differences. Uh, you know, understanding them is one thing, but appreciating them is quite, quite different. And if you can do that, you'll have a high-performing team. You'll have a high-performing organization.
0: I appreciate the conversation, Helen.
1: Thank you. I appreciate being here.
0: And we welcome your feedback. Please write us at usarmy.lovenworth.tradoc.mbx.amsc-podcast at mail.mail. Or you can just write us at amscpodcast at gmail.com.